Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God because that's what Christ came to preach, was that the Kingdom of God was at hand. It was within your reach. It was not for the dead, but for the living. He was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those people who were sitting in the seats of Moses and appoint it to another group that he was going to call out to be ministers of that kingdom. And that sounds like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean Jesus was appointing people to rule over us? No, because he forbid them to rule over you because that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. Remember, the only reason they had a king is because they rejected God. This was, this was another original sin, just like Adam and Eve rejected the, what God was telling them, which was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eat of the tree of life. What is that? The, you know, this tree thing, it's a metaphor. And it's told to us in an allegory of Adam and Eve. Now, maybe there was a real tree, but clearly there's a message in the story. The same as there was a message with Cain and Abel. And Abel was doing something with sheep. I don't know what that was all about, right? And Cain was doing something with vegetables and stuff that he grew in the garden. And they had a conflict and Abel got his head bashed in by Cain. Well, that's the story. And that's a great story. What does it all mean? And there are a lot of people out there. Uh, trying to figure out what it means and have. And then there are people telling you that, no, there was a literal tree and a literal snake and a literal seven days. And, well, you know, I'm okay with that. But if you don't get the meaning, the message of the story, it doesn't really matter whether it was seven days or 7,000 years or 70,000 years or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can go into in the Old Testament and look at and Why does he say replenish the earth? Was there people here and then they disappeared? And then because of some giant catastrophe and then they had to replenish the earth? I mean, we don't actually have a radio clock there in the Bible that's saying, and now we do this. You'll find discrepancies if you go through it taking everything absolutely literal. And But that's what people do, is they unmoor the metaphor from the message, and they never get the message. They're over there arguing about, you know, seven days or seven thousand years, the days is a thousand years, and all this stuff, and they're back and forth. And they don't get the simplicity of the message. You're supposed to love God, which is some sort of heuristic form of, uh, or source of life, the creator, we call him. That uh, this divine planner that has put so much abundance of life uh, on this planet. And, and, you know, you can go up to Arctic, uh, down to the Antarctic, and you find microbes living in solid ice. 
surviving. And you can find microbes living at volcano vents uh, that are actually almost a silicon base uh, instead of a carbon base uh, life form. So you, you find all this life everywhere you go, struggling to exist and to reproduce and to exist and to reproduce and die and reproduce and exist. And, and this has gone on for uh, quite a while now. And you don't think there's a designer involved in all this? So whatever that designer is, that this thing we call God, the Creator, you're supposed to love that life-generating entity, reality, source of the universe. And you're supposed to love one another. That That's it. That's the kingdom right there in the base. Basics of the kingdom. If you do those two things, everything's going to work out okay. As much as things can work out okay. You know, okay with what? Okay with what you want. Okay with the universe. You'll be right with the universe. But uh, what does that look like? How does that translate? Uh, what what were all these parables about that Christ was telling us? And why why did he take the kingdom away? Why weren't they bearing fruit? You know, I mean, why did he say they they were not bearing fruit and so he was going to take the kingdom away? Well, he gave us a number of things. They weren't attending daily uh, to an administration of charity. They were operating by force. This was John the Baptist. He was going to do it by charity. Everybody else was going to do it by force. And, and they were going to provide social welfare by charity. You know, maybe Bernie should try that. You know, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. And we're going to talk a lot about structure of government because the church is one form of government. But, you know, when I say the word church, you don't get what I mean probably. Most people out there in the world who are of the world don't get what I mean. They think, you know, we went to church. We had church service. We, uh, you know, church was really great today. Well, the word church means called out. So the called out were really great today, you know, because the word church comes from the word ecclesia, which means the called out. So I went to the called out. I mean, if we started putting that word, the words called out there, instead of every time we use the word church, we put the called out. Who, who are we talking about? Who's called out? Well, it was the called out ministers that Jesus appointed to serve the kingdom, serve the people as the kingdom. Because he says, I'm going to take the kingdom away. I'm going to appoint it to my little flock. I'm not going to appoint it to everybody. I'm just going to appoint it to my little flock. And my little flock is to minister to the people in a system of charity, through faith, hope, and charity, instead of force, fear, and violence, which is the way all the other governments were doing it. So now you think you went to church last week, but you also went to the guys who use force, fear, and violence to take care of the needy of your society. That's what Bernie does. He uses violence. He uses force. He uses the government who exercises authority one over the other to take from the needy or to take from people to provide for the needy. And actually, he ends up often taking from some of the needy (laughs) 
<laughs> but he's got his million dollar mansions. And so what does he care? You know, that's amazing. You, you find a lot of rich people in Hollywood that are all for socialism. I mean, we're talking millionaires. Some of them actually maybe even billionaires. I don't know. They got a lot of money. And they're also for democratic socialism. Now, how much do they give in, for charity? Do they give half of everything they make in charity? I'll bet you not. <laughs> but they're all for socialism. You know? As a matter of fact, they hire accountants and lawyers to make sure that they don't give too much. <laughs> but anyway, so we're going to talk about the structure of the kingdom. We started... Last week uh, in the afternoon show talking about structure. And before that we talked about Romans 13. And so you really should go back and listen to those shows. And get up to speed. Uh, but what, really what you should do is join the network. and Because then we will send you notices when those things are happening. And, and when you're able to do stuff. But Jesus wasn't didn't come to establish the church of God on earth, but the kingdom of God, a government, a form of government. It, when I say the word government, you know, I say the word church, you think, you know, that building down on the corner. Uh, if I say the word government, you think Washington, D.C., the capital of the state, or, you know, senators, congressmen, and that, that sort of thing. But now the church is a government too, but it's a different form of government. It's separate from the governments of the world, and it is established by Jesus Christ. It is edified by all those who follow the way of Jesus Christ. But that's what the kingdom of God is. It's at hand right now within your reach. It is a spiritual kingdom within you, but if it's within you, then you should manifest, edify that kingdom in what you're doing. If you're not edifying that kingdom in what you're doing, then you probably have not found it. <laughs> you're not you're not looking hard enough. Because that's what you're supposed to be doing, is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, anyway, we've written a lot, and you can go to preparingyou.com. I'll mention these websites so that for the first time listeners can go. And it's pretty easy to find. And it has a search engine on it. It's got tons and tons of articles. I was I was going through stuff early this morning before the sun came up. And uh, I was thinking, well, you know, I never wrote anything about this. And I actually did a word search. And, and, but I used the Greek. Uh, and I didn't find it anywhere. And I thought, geez, I didn't I talk about liturgio somewhere in, in, on, at preparing you? And so then I thought, oh, well, I might have talked about liturgia, which is another form of the same word in the feminine. And so I looked that up, and oh, sure enough, I did talk about that on the minister's page. And then I thought, well, I didn't say much about it. And, you know, and so I thought, well, maybe I, you know, need to expound on that. So I started expounding on it and adding a little bit more. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I didn't look up the word liturgy. Oh, let's look up liturgy. So I did a word search on that. There it is. There's the article on liturgy. Now, I haven't read it. I didn't have time. I had to go out and turn real sheep out in the real wilderness. <laughs> and a uh, good thing I did it when I did. 
It was sun was just barely. I don't even think it was appearing yet, but the sky was lit up. And usually I don't let them out that early because there's coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions out there in the wilderness. But I thought I'd watch them pretty close, and I I let them out, and then I I went down to where they normally head, and then they didn't come. And I go up and I bring them down, and there's a couple of laggers back there that are more interested in filling their bellies than in staying with the herd. Well, that's what we call coyote bait, because you stay behind, (laughs) and you will be left behind. So I had to go, and of course, because they stayed behind, another lamb was following them that wasn't part of that little group, and uh, didn't know where its mother was, and kept baying, and that's how I found them. And so then I I moved them on down. If you know, and hopefully I got them all and moved them down to where the other sheep were and then tried to move them into a little pen that we put them in. It's, it's a field, a small field, but it's extra fenced. It's fenced within the fence because the whole place is not fenced. We depend on cliffs and stuff, and the coyotes live in the cliffs and the bobcats live in the cliffs. So anyway, to give you the picture, eventually I got them down there, but they wanted to run back and forth and others wanted to run over here and I remember there was some green grass over here and they didn't and I didn't take the dog with me because it has a hurt foot and so I gave it a day off and so I'm running <laughs> and thinking like why are you guys being but it was cool and there were no bugs and uh green grass everywhere and they just wanted to fill their bellies and they had no idea that there's a program scheduled this morning <laughs> so anyway Eventually, I got a few of them in through the little gate, and and then they uh, they all went down into the little pen, and I locked them up, and so they're hopefully safe out there. But this, I thought, many times of you people out there <laughs> that are interested in filling your belly or getting your thing done or or doing this over here, and just a minute, Jesus. I will come, but first I gotta go bury somebody or do whatever, you know, the whole section about excuses that everybody makes. No, I would, I would really strongly advise against keep making the excuses. I think you need to get your act together and start thinking kingdom. Because in order to fulfill those first two commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, you need to come together to keep an eye on your neighbor. Cause you, you've got more than, do you call all your neighbors every day at the end of the day? Now, just before the program came on, I, uh, I got an email from somebody evidently in Canada. I don't even know if it's a real person. You can't tell by the email. And, uh, there was something suspicious about the email, but, uh, they said they wanted to be a part of what we're doing. And they're up in apparently Canada. And well, I didn't recognize the email and it came to me instead of to the group so somebody's doing something wrong and so I said I just sent an email off to the ministers I forwarded it on to them and said does anybody know who this is and hopefully somebody will try to track them down in Canada and find out what the heck they because why don't you know how to be a part of what we're doing this weekend evidently you haven't joined the network yet you don't know how to use the emails (laughs) Yeah, everybody can't call me when you need help. You need to call each other because you've got to care about each other. This is, our ministry is just the reverse of most ministries. And I was thinking about this 
today as I was rushing back and and uh uh actually remember where I was, I was passing through the the gate there and and uh looking out a, a, in the desert, keeping track of all the little cows out in the desert and I thought, you know, that most people, you know, they talk about going to church and the minister doesn't want you going to another church while you're going to his church. You know, because you might end up liking that other pastor better and then you'll go there and then he won't he won't be taking care of you anymore or you won't be taking care of him. <laughs> however you however you cut the tithe. Uh but uh we don't do that. If if the Holy Spirit wants you to go to another church, you know, to attend it, go ahead. But don't forget the network. We're not an ear-tickling church. We're not, you know, we do have groups that are have some social interaction and, and that, that helps them. But a lot of our people are spread out all over, which is a good thing, but it also has its downside. Because you have to have, you know, local people around you to interact with in order to satisfy the natural inclination, the gregarious inclination to socialize with other people. And so, but we say go ahead, you know, because you may be the only one who brings the Holy Spirit into that church. It may not be the pastor. Because he's certainly not doing what uh, Christ's early church was doing. The early church was the entire social welfare the entire social welfare for all Christians. There was a lot of social welfare around, but that was provided by those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You know, like you guys do out there in the United States and Canada and, and uh, England and Australia and China and Nicaragua and all those socialist places. You go to the government for your free bread and for your welfare and for your needs. You don't go to church for that. You go to church to have your ears tickled and your backs padded saying, oh, you're saved. That's not what the early church was doing. The early church was that social welfare. And we'll, we may get into it and talk about it. I mean, like Paul at writing to the Romans in verse uh, chapter 15 I think it is, uh, he's talking about, on my way to Spain, <laughs> I'm going to stop in and see you guys in Rome. He's going to stop off and see the Romans because he's headed to Spain. Well, you know, back then he probably wasn't taking a jet. So he's going to take some boat that somebody's got oars and a sail on and cross from where he was. I think he probably in Corinth at the time. This around 54 A.D., because uh, it's the letter of the Romans. And uh, he's headed to Spain. What's he going to do in Spain? Well, of course, you know, he went to Galatia. He's moving large amounts of funds around, because he even talks about it in there, about taking taking the fruits, that's what he calls the fruits, to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Well, why were the saints so poor in Jerusalem? Well, if you know the history, everybody should be extremely familiar with the history around the gospel in order to be preaching the gospel. 
you know there there was a there was a famine why was there a famine well there was a crop failure why was there a crop failure well there were signs in the sun and you know but you don't know any of these things your pastor doesn't know anything he doesn't even know what the weightier matters are <laughs> of law judgment mercy and faith you see, in order to get to a place where you're actually taking care of one another, you have to be attending to the weightier matters, which is another thing that Christ called out the Pharisees on. So we are on, on topic here. So they weren't bearing fruit because they weren't attending to the weightier matters. They didn't have a daily ministration operating by faith, hope, and charity. They weren't networking in the tens, hundreds, and thousands anymore. They had become a centralized authoritarian government that taxed the people, put the money in the treasury, and trickled it down to the needy of society. And that was making the word of God to none effect because that's the exact opposite of what Christ was saying to do. But guess what, folks? That's what you guys are doing on a daily basis out there. Some people are dissatisfied with that. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Goff. Uh, I think that was his name. I was trying to remember what his first name is. Trey Goff. You know, like Trey Gowdy. T-R-E-E-Y. Um, and he, he wrote a new constitution. You know, he's he's trying to figure out what would a free government be like because he's looking out at the government he has today and you know i mean if jimmy little jimmy madison was here he would be turning over in his grave as to what you guys have done but he predicted jefferson predicted adams predicted that you would probably do something like what you've done and they were doing it right out of the box because they little jimmy madison made a couple of mistakes he was pretty smart guy compared to most of the people who would be willing to write a constitution today, but he made a couple of mistakes. And if you if you know all the history around that period of time, you could start logically pinpointing and saying, "Oh, you know, they thought this was a good idea. That's not a good idea because they used that bad idea." To do this, and then, then they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then you had the Civil War, and then you had Woodrow Wilson, and then you had, and you can follow the, if you know history, you can follow the progression of your bondage. But if you miss one thing, you've let the camel in the tent. You know, you let his nose in the whole thing. You know what, what party, uh, little Jimmy Madison, that's James Madison. I call him little Jimmy Madison. I actually heard, uh, Judge Neopolitano, uh, how did I get that name? <laughs> Refer to him as that. Cause evidently he was, I knew he was really short, but he was actually less than five foot. He was like 4'10 or something, which is pretty short. I mean, standing next to George Washington, it must have been quite a mutton Jeff sight because Washington was over six foot. Well, Washington, was a Federalist. Little Jimmy was an anti-Federalist. But what was the name of the party? It was the Democratic Republicans. That's what they called themselves. <laughs> Democratic Republicans. You know, that's kind of an oxymoron right there. <laughs> but, but that's how you let in. But we're going to look at Trey Goff's Constitution a little bit. And we're going to look at a number of other things. And see how... They strayed from the 
kingdom. Because they don't even know about the kingdom. But hopefully maybe they'll hear this and they'll start putting some things together. We'll be right back. <coughs> so welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So what? what's the constitution of the church? <laughs> you have a constitution of... Um, you know, uh, the world of uh, the United States, of uh, the European Union, uh, all these things. And so, anyway, some people in, in an interview with Trey uh, were were asking him, why did you use the word constitution? Because he has this, his constitution is like a contract that the, he, you, you sign into this group and then you are subject to that constitution. He thinks that that's going to create a free government. And and I'm not I, I, more power to him and his his quest. He he sees a problem with the loss of freedom in the world today, and so he's trying to find some sort of a, a remedy, and that's reasonable uh, to to try to find that sort of remedy for the Constitution today. You know, I mean, uh, for for government today. But you need to know a little bit more about history and how things go wrong. Because it's really easy to sit down and plan something out. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I was going to build something. And I planned it out and everything. I didn't draw the pictures or anything, but I planned it out kind of in my head. I I wasn't very good at it. I was was probably eight or nine. (laughs) And, I, you know, I I had just a few hand tools that were... uh, in the garage and trying to build something and I didn't know anything about building and eventually now you know I can design an entire house in my head I, but I still draw it out because I know that's part of the deal because I know that you know this wall's got to actually make it to the corner <laughs> it's actually got to meet otherwise you get this big hole there where you thought there was going to be a wall and so this is kind of the way people go about writing their constitutions today is that they say, well, this sounds like a good idea and this sounds like a good idea. And they then you, you somebody who actually had done a little bit more study or maybe more study in that particular area, know a little bit more about history or whatever, they say, yeah, but what happens when this happens? And then they get, realize, oops, i got to go back to the drawing board. Well, go back to little Jimmy Madison being Democratic Republicans. So they were, they believed, you know, democracy is not mentioned in the Constitution anywhere. And people say, well, the United States is a republic. Well, actually, no, it's not. The United States is a democracy (laughs) that was created to guarantee a republican form of government to the states. Almost right out of the box, they were doing things that were going to take away those rights and we'll, we may get to a point where we'll show you give you some examples of that but uh the reality is the states created the constitution and the constitution is not really a contract as it is corporate charter it's written as if it's a corporate charter it actually effectively is a corporate charter but until somebody actually signed on to it, it had no validity whatsoever. You know, the people who signed the Constitution, they didn't create the United States. That's not what created the United States, the Constitution. That, as a matter of fact, the Constitution, if you read our, we have a whole book online, chapter by chapter. We have recordings with it so that you can get ex- extra explanations, lots of footnotes. And it's, you know, contracts, covenants, and constitutions. 
because a constitution is, it does become a contract. But when they wrote it, it wasn't a contract. It was a corporate charter. But in order for a corporate charter to become a contract, somebody has to agree to become the voting body of the corporation. Somebody has to, if you have a voting body, and in this case they had a voting body. But the voting body was the people in the states would elect somebody to be a congressman, a senator, or or whatever in the the electoral college, and then they would elect a president. Once they had an agreed president who's agreed to the Constitution, and a, and congressmen and senators that come from those states that had their own congressmen and senators within the states, but these are ones for the federal Congress and federal Senate. They once they all agreed. Then they, by agreeing, they were entering into a contract to go by the corporate charter, the Constitution. People were not a party to that. It was never voted in by the people. It was never never voted for by the people. <laughs> and the people were not a party to the Constitution. This is this is, history tells us this. Supreme Court even tells us this. The people were not a party to the Constitution. So when it says, we the people, they're not talking about you originally. They were talking about the people of the United States. Well, who are the people of the United States? There was no United States, so it's not everybody. It's it's the people who become the senators and congressmen and president and vice president of the United States. Those are the people of the United States. Uh, it, that wasn't the Americans living in each individual state. They weren't a party to the Constitution. So when people say, we the people, they don't know what they're talking about most of the time. <laughs> so, and so anyway, it was illegally ratified by the people who did sign at the bottom of the page. And uh, be, because of the fact that it, they didn't even actually ratify it. Didn't, shouldn't even use the word ratify because because it was illegally done. It wasn't really ratified by them because they they had no power to create that document. They, it was just a piece of paper. But they all agreed that this was the piece of paper they came up with. They were only supposed to find out what they could add to the Articles of Confederation that would improve things. Instead, they wrote this whole new agreement. And the Articles of Confederation already said, amongst the states, they couldn't make any changes to the Articles unless it was unanimously done. Well, the Constitution was not unanimously, originally, it was not unanimously agreed to by the states. Some states held out, yet they implemented. They got congressmen and senators and presidents, and there they had them. But it that was illegal until all the states were in on the deal. And eventually they were, but they actually coerced some of the states to get them to sign. But they have signed, and that's all water under the bridge. But the reality is, if had they put it to a popular vote, the people would have voted it down. Because they were afraid of the very same thing little Jimmy was afraid of, is an overreaching, overpowerful federal government. And there's lots of places where the government got overreaching and overpowered. <laughs> you know, that the, what the 
the Constitution was doing was giving power to this extra entity that was outside the states to do the things enumerated in the Constitution. If they're not enumerated in the Constitution, they didn't have the power to do it. Now, that doesn't mean they haven't gotten the power since then, but mostly through abdication and sloth of the people, as well as the states, which are just a compilation of the people. But uh, one, one of the big ways in which they got more power is through the Commerce Clause. And the Commerce Clause very clearly was just to regulate exchanges of people from the different states. You have to remember, remember, most of you don't even know, but those of you who have been doing a little bit of homework, the states were separate countries. Just like Mexico is a country, Canada is a country, uh, you know, Maryland was a country, New Jersey was a country, Connecticut was a country, New York was a country. And they had a confederation, Articles of Confederation. But they were still separate countries. When they wrote the Constitution, they were still separate countries. They weren't, there was not the country of the United States. There was an organization called the United States, a corporation of the United States, created by the states, which relinquished some of their power to the state, I mean, to the United States. And that the United States could use those powers, but only the powers delegated to them. Well, the Commerce Clause was to limit the power of states to charge other states tariffs and and taxes on goods coming into their state from another state. So this was they were going to limit that so that you you couldn't do that because then the states were freely exchanging between each other. Now, they had the power to impose tariff taxes on stuff coming from outside of the country, but not between the states. Well, that that power has greatly expanded, and now the federal government regulates almost everything in the Commerce Clause. And one of the reasons why they did this was because the Supreme Court which all of a sudden decided that they were the only ones who could interpret the Constitution. And, you know, you could find a lot of people, uh, judges, who think that that was incorrect. If the states created the United States, only the states should be allowed to interpret the Constitution. But the states also created the Supreme Court. So within the jurisdiction of the United States, which was very limited... It is reasonable that the federal government determines what the individual uh, meaning of these different things in relationship to the federal government mean, the different things in the Constitution mean. So, in that sense, the Supreme Court was right. But at that time, the states could have taken the power of the federal government away from them. And, of course, we saw that during the Civil War, is that they were taking the power of the federal government away and saying we're, we're going to be the South. Uh, we're going to be, you know, the Southern states. Confederation of Southern states were not going to be a part of the federal government. We're going to be part of this other government. And they actually had every right to do that. What they didn't have a right to do was confiscate federal gold and deposit 
in state banks. They didn't have the right to fire on Fort Sumner, which was a federal fort located within the states. And by doing that, they became the aggressors. And so they, they a lot of Southerners want to refer to the Civil War as the, the War of Northern Aggression. Well, the very first troops that came in there just came in to collect money that Southern merchants owed Northern merchants because they were confiscating funds and saying, we're not going to pay you in federal dollars. We're going to pay you in some other script. And uh, they didn't really have the right to do that. And so that's where they got into trouble. But you go back to the original, you know, the very first part of the U.S. government, the federal government was going out and creating its own bank. And they said that that was okay to do that. Uh, that they were, I was trying to think of what was the uh, particular phrase that they used. Uh, uh, you know, John Marshall was uh, the Supreme Court and he decided... Uh, what the Constitution was to mean, not the states, and that was that was a major mistake. Uh, necessary and proper was the term that we see in the Constitution. Necessary and proper, and they interpreted necessary and proper as convenient. <laughs> and necessary and proper didn't actually mean necessary and proper because if it it should have said absolutely necessary. <laughs> so they could just now do what was convenient because we decided that it's necessary. But uh, little Jimmy said, no, w- when I say necessary and proper, I mean necessary and proper. You have to remember he wrote the Constitution. He, it was his notes that were putting this all together. And uh, so if he says that he actually meant necessary and proper, then they didn't have any right to create a bank. Uh, they should have used state banks. And in many cases, they did use state banks. But uh, now we've gone so far away from that. I mean, there's there's no going back. And th- this, is, this is probably the catch-all. I should get to this so that we can get on to more kingdom-related things. But most people don't know their history, so I have to lay a little groundwork so that you understand... You know, if you read Contracts, Covenants, the Constitution, you'd save me a lot of time. Uh, I wouldn't have to explain all these things. But uh, all this is not in there, but this is adding to your knowledge of what was going on. They, uh, they, they didn't need to create, and they didn't have the power to create their own bank. And that actually, because that's, not enumerated as a power, they shouldn't do it. But they said necessary and proper doesn't really mean necessary and proper. It means convenient and desired, <laughs> which it is is an infringement. But the states didn't call them out on. In the Bible, it tells you what to put into a constitution. You had to put five things into a constitution. See, and this is where there was a problem with the Constitution. They tried to fix it with the amendments, but they missed the five basics of the uh, uh, 
uh, advice in the Bible as to what to put in a constitution. If you decide to have a, somebody who's a chief executive officer, somebody who can exercise authority one over the other, you should put these five prohibitions in. One is, is that he couldn't accumulate gold and silver. He couldn't have his own bank. <laughs> and, and they didn't put that prohibition in there. They figured it was kind of in there because we didn't mention it. You know, we didn't say that you could do this, so therefore you can't do it. But then when they did it, nobody called them out on it, at least not enough people. And why did not enough people call them out on it? Because they weren't attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They were like those sheep this morning who were running over this hill and running down in this valley because <laughs> I think there's some green grass over here. <laughs> They're all trying to fill their own belly or fill their own desires instead of attending to the desires of others. Because in order for a society to be free, you have to care about the freedom of your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. There's a great video, and I can't remember the name of the uh, creek uh, where it took place, but it's Shows water buffalo and lions attacking the water buffalo and crocodiles. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we've got it up on the website. It's all over the internet. But, uh, some lions attacked the water buffalo and they got a calf and they start pulling the calf down and the water buffalo all run off. And the calf gets down into the water trying to escape and then the crocodiles grab the calf. So there's a calf with a crocodile holding it and there's a, Lion holding it, and lo and behold, the buffaloes come back in number. Because they, you know, it's not just the mama comes back, but all the water buffalo come back. And then you start seeing lions flying through the air, and and uh, the crocodiles are thwarted, and the calf gets back into the herd. And the, but you still see the water buffalo tossing lions through the air and chasing them off. Because even water buffalo care about other water buffaloes as much as they care about themselves. The fact that you don't do that is why you end up in problems. You can't legislate that in a constitution. But the structure of your constitution, at least in your mind, has to leave that responsibility to you to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You know, like I was thinking just this morning, you know, down in Mexico, South America, Nicaragua, a lot of these places, very socialist all throughout South America. And, you know, I've shared videos on Facebook of, of people talking about socialism in South America and how it's bad. And that's why the democratic socialists all want people from South America to come up here and give them the right to vote is because they're going to vote democratic socialists. And you guys sitting there letting them have do this and letting them teach your kids in school, in your socialist public schools, that socialism is a good thing, you've already lost the vote and you just don't know it yet. You know, because you didn't take the responsibility of teaching your kids yourself and finding out what they're teaching your kids in school. How many of you parents have read all the books that they use in the public school where you send your kids? You don't even know what they're teaching them. They don't even teach them history anymore at all. So I, now here I have to spend half the show trying to teach you basic history. That you should know. And if you knew it, you wouldn't be voting Democratic Socialist. 
uh, you wouldn't be voting for socialism at all because you'd be real Christians. You can't be a socialist and a Christian. Because a socialist exercises authority one over the other to force the people to take care of the needy of their society. Because they believe in force. They don't believe in charity, which is why you see Bernie Sanders not being a very charitable guy. And, you know, I, I don't want to pick on poor Bernie. I could probably name you a hundred, but I just don't know everybody's name. <laughs> of, of very rich people that are for socialism. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it, it's a big mistake. But you need to understand that those responsibilities are yours to do, to teach your children. And you, you haven't been doing that. And so now your children are growing up and they don't know how wicked socialism is. So anyway, they want to bring all these people up. And I was thinking of uh, a lot of the people in these countries, especially the ones that are a little poor, family's really important. Now, clearly a lot of those families are broken down because, I mean, they're literally kidnapping children so that they come across the border with kids because if they have a kid with them, then they just get a free pass. Because you're not allowed to take the kids away from them anymore because you might upset some real parent. That the reality is this is all, this is a manufactured crisis. When the Democrats say that it's a manufactured crisis, they're absolutely right. But they're manufacturing it. It's still a real crisis. It's not a made up crisis. It's a manufactured crisis. Uh, and it's, it's not happening because you don't have a wall. Go ahead and build a wall. If you just got the money that they're cheating on the, the many of the, uh, people that are in this country, there's a deal where they, they can write in, uh, they have a nephew, 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 <laughs> as deductions. They all live in Mexico, but they claim them as deductions. They don't have social security numbers, but they claim them as deductions. They get to do that. And they're talking like, this is the IRS figure, is like $4 billion a year is lost in revenue because of this fraudulent claiming of deductions. That could have built the wall. In the last 10 years, you could have built 10 walls. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, the answer isn't the wall. The answer is the kingdom. Uh, but if you're not going to seek the kingdom, go ahead and build your wall. That's up to you guys. That's the other government. But what you need to be doing is seeking the kingdom. And this constitution of Trey Goff is missing it. And maybe he'd like to know where he's missing at, and that's hopefully what we're going to be looking at. It's going to take more than this show to go through it. But you need some groundwork to understand that any responsibility, and this is one of the things we're going to point out several places, any responsibility that belongs to the people that you try to get the government to take care of is a camel's nose in the tent. You have to take your responsibilities back in every aspect of society. So, like I was saying, down in South America, a lot of these places, family is really important. And even sometimes the village. You know, my family's important. My village is important. But the next village, they're on their own. And that's tribalism. And the bad part of tribalism. The good part of tribalism, 
you know, when the the uh, 11 tribes of Israel, there's 12, I know, but one was the Levites. But the 11 tribes of Israel, who all owned land in different places, they settled in different places. And now the tribe didn't own the land. The people owned the land. And we're going to get into that. Very important. The people own the land, not the government. The people own the land. The people own the law. And the law has to be written in their hearts. The people are responsibility to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Not just for themselves, but for others. This is the flock. The sheep have to learn to stick together or they're going to be devoured <laughs> at a time. So, they had their tribal areas Reuben was kind of far off, the tribe of Reuben. And they, because they were so far off, they started building their own little temple, the tabernacle. And the other tribes thought, like, what's, what are they doing? <laughs> what are they, what, how are they doing, why are they doing this? They went to ask them, why are you building a temple, a tabernacle over here? And, uh, they came with swords at their side. And they asked them, why, why are you building this here? And they said, oh, don't, don't get us wrong. The doors of our tabernacle face the tabernacle of Israel. Now, these are metaphors. But we're so far away, we thought we'd build our own tabernacle. Now, was it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. You have to remember the tabernacle, the, the capital... <laughs> of Israel, which was this tent, moved every year, was in a different location. It was in a different tribal area. This is to prevent tribalism, competition. If you're going to build a capital, it's going to be where? It's going to be in this particular place. You don't want that. Because now you're centralizing responsibility. No, you want it moving around. Even the high priest, he would be from one tribe one year. You know, a, a Levite from one tribe one year. Because Levites were in all these areas. They didn't own any land in their own name. There was Levite land set aside in all these areas. So this is a way of getting away from the tribalism. So anyway, that's one of the problems. That's why the socialism doesn't work coming out of South America. is because of the fact Family's important, my community is important, but the next community, they're on their own. But the kingdom of God is a network where Paul is concerned about the people in Spain, people in Rome, people in Carthage, etc. You have to do the same. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about structure of the kingdom and the structure of the governments of the world and and where you go wrong and where you head the right direction. And the reality is, is you can't make any more of a blanket rule. This is, this is your blanket rule in your constitution <laughs> and your personal constitution or creed that I have to love the giving of life, the sharing of life, the creation of life, the pursuit of life, and which is to love God which is the source of life, the creator, the creative force in the universe. 
and I have to love my neighbor as myself. If you get those two things, everything else should fall into place. If it's not falling into place, it's because those two things are not real. It's just in your imagination. You're not, you don't really love those things. And, you know, see, like the water buffalo would come, you know, we talked about in the first show, would come running back and chase lions, face lions, to protect water buffalo babies. Very rare to find water buffalo going and protecting gazelle babies. <laughs> they will, they'll sit there and like, oh, it's a gazelle. Oh, oh, he's eating a wildebeest. Oh, okay. You know, that's none of my business. They're not a part of my village. <laughs> so, anyway. So, that's what, uh, that's, that's what we're dealing with is, uh, this other form of uh, reality where we're all this one village, this uh, this one uh, community. And the basis of our community is that we love life and the giver of life and the givers of life and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And we don't oppress the stranger in, in the midst. So Moses had a lot of these rules were which included prohibitions. Now, now, because uh, if a lot of people are listening to this for the first time and have never heard, I've just mentioned Moses, I men- mentioned Jesus, I mentioned the church. And so they're going to equate all those terms with other people or other ideas that they got from other people about who Moses was and and what the Bible says. And just to give you a heads up, I don't believe the Bible ever told us to pile up stones and set sheep on fire. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to do that. Now, if you don't understand why I'm saying that, then you have to do some more study. <laughs> and uh, and we have lots of articles that take you step by step that that is a fiction and a fraud. And that was well known by one of the most popular groups of the day. Mentioned by Josephus and everybody is well known that the interpretation that God wanted us to pile up stone and kill sheep and set them on fire is a fiction and a fraud. They knew it was a fiction and a fraud. Sadducees didn't think much of it. Uh, the, uh, the Pharisees were promoting it. But uh, they also knew to some degree, in some groups, knew that it was a metaphor. But... Um, they still did the ritual, but that's part of the process of unmooring the ritual away. And so we have lots of articles on golden calves, what it really was, which is the central bank, which the Constitution did not prohibit the creation of a central bank. And see, those five things that you were to put in your Constitution, four of them are prohibitions. The, the fifth one is actually sort of a prohibition as well. (laughs) But it's a more general prohibition. You can do nothing to return the people to the bondage of Egypt. That's one of the fifth items that I was talking about. Well, what's the bondage of Egypt? 20% of everything you make, produce, earn, your labor, 20% of your labor belongs to the government. That's the bondage of Egypt. If, if, if they can tax you 20% of your labor, you're back in Egypt again. If, uh, 
if you don't own your sheep, your cows, you're back in Egypt again. If you don't own your land, if they can tax you on your land, if you only have a legal title to your land. Now see, I just mentioned a word legal. Uh, Trey needs to find out what the word legal means, what the word legal title means. Because he uses the word legal in the, his constitution, but I don't really think he understands the significance of that word. Now, if he wants to take time to get a little bit more of an education, we've got the <laughs> information and we can share it with you. But uh, the reality is, is that these all these things start to fit together. And this is this is the big puzzle. If you're not, if you don't like the twenty thousand puzzle <laughs> uh, uh, puzzles, then you probably don't need to uh, pursue everything that we're trying to share. But if you don't understand, love your neighbor as yourself, and love life, and the giving of life, and the creating of life, because I know a lot of guys who they love life. Uh, and they want to go down to the bar, and they want to go to the party, and they want to, you know, those sheep all love, love being out when it was nice and cool this morning, and wanted to run this way and run that way, <laughs> go get this grass, and they, they were, when I was bringing them in last night, they didn't want to eat anything, oh, we are full, we are tired, we want to go back and lay down, this morning they were, they were wanting to get out there and get something to eat, <laughs> And run around, just, I mean, sometimes they're just running and leaping and through the air and everything. Because they were all in such good spirits. Well, I'm glad they're in good spirits. But I don't want them to be eaten by coyotes. So they need to learn to stick together. But I want to mention a Supreme Court case just as a part of your history and understanding. And we gave it a little bit of, I just, I'm, I'm not going to give you four years of education or 12 years of education or in, in in a single show. So I'm just giving you bits and pieces. If you think I'm missing something, I'm probably not. <laughs> I'm just not mentioning it on this show. But the Wicked, Wickard versus Filburn case, which if you want to look it up, 317 U.S. 11, 111, uh, it's a 1942 case, uh, was an interesting Supreme Court case. Now we had already, this is well after Woodrow Wilson, well after the Civil War. <laughs> Well, after uh, the the first U.S. bank, uh, I mean, this is after the Federal Reserve. I mean, you've already lost it. You're not, you know, like somebody asked me once uh, when I was at a meeting, and, you know, I was lecturing in somewhere in the Midwest. I think it was in Nebraska. No, I was beyond Nebraska by then. But anyway, one of those 50 states. And somebody asked uh, about capitalism. And I happen to know Trey uh, golf, I think, refers to himself as an ANCAP, or at least somebody has, and he didn't deny it, uh, which is an anarchist capitalist, so he's in favor of capitalism. And uh, Christ was an anarch- ANCAP uh, by those definitions. By You know, we have a page on anarchism, if you want to go look that up. Uh, all the church was anarchist, they, they, because they were commanded not to be like the governments of the world, the princes of the world and the Gentiles and the other nations. That's what Gentile means, other nations. Who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. We weren't archists. We weren't rulers. We were forbidden to be rulers. So that would make us anarchists, not rulers. 
We also can't rule over other people who want to have rulers. They can have their rulers. We don't want to take that away from them. So we're not breaking windows or throwing bombs or overthrowing governments. We may be counted amongst the rebels, and we'll get to that. Transgressors, we see the word transgressor in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, you know, told them, you know, if you don't have a sword, this is a general instruction. This is, a, if you don't have a sword, you sell your coat if you have to, but go get yourself a sword. And somebody had two swords, and he says, that's enough. Well, that's fine, you know, but that somebody is actually trying to suggest that those were props to fulfill this other prophecy of that we are to be counted amongst the transgressors. And he says transgressor, that means a robber or a thief or anybody. No, it is a fulfillment of a prophecy. It's in Isaiah 52. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's around 52. Um, where it says that he would be numbered as a transgressor. But the meaning of the word transgressor there is the same meaning as it was in Isaiah. The meaning of the Hebrew word in Isaiah was not a thief or a robber, but a rebel. Christ was the uh, the people in uh, you know the in, in the government at that time, which was the ones sitting in the seat of Moses, who were the rulers in Judea. There were rulers in Judea because the people said we want to have a king, and that was the mistake. That was the camel's nose in the door. That was a rejection of God. And now they ended up with rulers like the Pharisees and Herod and Herod Antipas exercising authority. There was no king in Jerusalem at that time until Jesus came in and was hailed as the highest son of David. That means he was the king. Except for the fact that he was an anarchist king who was not going to exercise authority one over the other. No more taxes under Jesus. Tithes, yes, but tithes are voluntary. You give to the minister you choose to give to. Nobody can force you. They don't arrest you. So, you know, Trey should take a look at what the kingdom of God is before he writes any more in his constitution. He may revamp the whole thing. <laughs> and he won't call it a constitution anymore. He, was, he admitted that he wasn't sure what to call it, but that was a common word that everybody used. The word we would use is accord. And everybody doesn't sign the accords. Just the just the people who get into the government sign the accords. Because everything else is free will. You know, free will offerings. But it doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility. An elder of the communities at the time of the early church was the head of a family. That's the unit. There's individuals and families. Families are the corporation of God. Two or more people, no more twain, as if they were one person. So that's the corporation of God. It's the family. That If that family incorporates with another family, signs a corporation, a constitution, a covenant, that's a violation of the commandments of God. You're not to make covenants with the people. With any other family. Not mean you can't have, you know, like a, a mutual contract concerning your cow or, or uh, what have you. It, it means that you're not to have this constitutional covenants. You don't need that. 
But you do need a government, and that government needs to form some sort of body. And that's what the Levites was. That's what the church was. The called out. Remember, the Levites were called out. They were the church in the wilderness. And Jesus had his called out. He says, I'm going to appoint the kingdom to them, take it away from the others, and I'm going to appoint it to them. Now, they were a government, but they did not exercise authority one over the other. So they were an anarchist government. So there, Jesus is telling you in the New Testament the structure of your government. And Trey needs to find out what he was really talking about, you know, instead of what everybody going to church thinks he was talking about. Now, I'm, I'm not picking on the people who go to church. There's some really good people who go to church and, you know, they may be Baptists, Lutherans. They, I don't, I don't know. I'm non-denominational. I don't care about that. I'm just saying, if you're seeking this other form of government, which is what the church was, this other form of government that operates by faith voluntarism, faith open charity, takes care of all the needs of their society through faith open charity, not through forced taxation. This is what John the Baptist is saying, not through force, but through charity. If you have two coats, share one. If you have, do the same in meats. Do the same with funds, money, whatever it is that you want to give, set on the altar, the living altars of stone. You choose to do that. But, I mean, what are you, what are we supposed to be doing? Everybody sending a check to, to some, you know, to Summer Lake. <laughs> you all send, send me your checks and your money orders. And then I will redistribute it amongst the entire network. I don't want that job. <laughs> Please. <clears throat> you can support this ministry, but that's completely up to you. What I'm, I'm doing the opposite of what you see these big ministers that are making millions of dollars <laughs> out there flying around their jets. I'm saying you guys on a local basis get together with nine other families and you start caring about one another. And then you pick a minister who cares about you all and you tied to him and then he tends to the weightier matters. You know, well, actually, you all have to attend to the weightier matters. But he attends to the, the free bread and the welfare of your 10 family group. But you can't just think about your 10 family group. You have to care about the next 10 family group as much as you care about your own. As a matter of fact, you have to care about all the family groups throughout the kingdom of God, which is like a net. That's what he says. Jesus says it's like a net. It's a network. So your minister gets together with nine other ministers like himself, and they pick a minister. And now you're tying the knots, but the knots are based on faith, hope, and charity, not a constitution that you swear allegiance to or any of those things. And so anyway, I know this is a lot to get a person's head around, but we're going to continue through this and and follow this up to show you how an actual free society is structured, has structure and muscles and sinew and spirit so that it becomes a living creation. But it's a living creation of liberty. And that's that's what the Bible's really about. But people are under strong delusion. But anyway, I wanted to talk to you about the Will Wickard versus Filburn case, nineteen forty two case. 
you thought I forgot. I didn't forget. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, uh, it remains one of the most important and far-reaching cases concerning the New Deal, uh, which, you know, I we have articles about the New Deal, and of course that's what Herod was offering the people back before Jesus Christ, before, you know, when he was first predicted that he would become the king in Judea, when he became the king, he offered them a new deal. <laughs> but that was a, a system of Corbin that was going to make the word of God did not affect and Jesus was going to do away with. It. And that's, of course, why he wanted to kill Jesus. But anyway, and uh, it set a precedent uh, for an expanse uh, of this interpretation of the Constitution's Commerce Clause. And, you know, like I said, right away, right out of the box, they were expanding the Commerce Clause, uh, that it wasn't what was necessary and needed, but what was desired and wanted. (laughs) Evidently, uh, there's there's a serious Supreme Court justice that needed a spanking, but nobody was around to give it. And the people were, you know, too busy running around filling their own bellies. And they got away with it. I'm sure there were people who complained. I know little Jimmy complained. Uh, but uh, there wasn't enough to complain. Because they had already let the camel in the in the tent by creating that constitution. Which is a seriously flawed document. A great try. But a seriously flawed document. And so what we're going to be doing in the next few shows maybe is going through... You know, we might just use his document, uh, Trey's document, but it could be a lot of other people's idea too as well, so I don't want to pick on him. But I'm, I'm doing it out of love to hope that people see what you don't want to do as well as what you want to do. Because what you want to do is really simple, but I need to fill this up. I've got other, uh, other, uh, projects that I'm working on to, uh, uh, try to put all this stuff together. But anyway, uh, the goal of the legal challenge was to end the entire federal crop support program by declaring it unconstitutional. That's that's what they desired. And that there was a lot of flaws in the way in which they created that thing, but uh, created this particular case. But Ros- Roscoe Filburn was growing wheat to feed his animals on his own farm. He He was not selling this wheat to other farmers, nor was he selling it across state lines, which you remember what I said is the Commerce Clause was really about interstate commerce, not intrastate commerce. But it, it like I say, Woodrow Wilson was already dead by this time. Uh, I don't know if he was actually dead, but he wasn't president anymore. And uh, the, the we'd already had a civil war and we'd already done a lot of other things. See, the Constitution is pretty organic and your relationship to it is organic. So a lot of things had already changed. You weren't citizens. By this time, you weren't citizens of the individual states. You were simply residents of the states. You were citizens of the United States. So now you were a party to the Constitution and you were a party to the Constitution because you had signed up for it. I heard in one of the interviews with Trey where they talk about this Somebody, I don't know if they use the word imaginary uh, contract, social contract. A lot of libertarians want to believe, oh, there's no social contract. Where is it? Show me it. Well, go read the book Covenants of the Gods <laughs> and you'll know where the, the social contract is. And uh, so they always like to throw out words like fiction of law, like fictions of law don't exist. 
well, adoption is a fiction of law. That was one of the, there's probably better examples, but that's a pretty common. You're not really your father's son. You're adopted. But you inherit. He treats you. You eat at his table. Uh, you are like his son. But you're not a son. That's a fiction of law. So you're telling me that fictions of law are fictions? No. Fictions of law are just a way in which to deal with things that are real. <laughs> it's as if you were... Because all the consequences are going to be the same. Because you're adopted. And that's a fiction of law. But anyway, back to uh, uh, the Supreme Court disagreed with Mr. Filburn. You know, Roscoe was... Incorrect, according to the Supreme Court. It says whether the subject of the regulation in question was production, consumption, or marketing is therefore not material for, and I'm quoting out of this, so I'm not reading the whole case, material for purposes of deciding the question of federal power before us. See, that was the problem. That, that, the, they were attacking that the federal government had, didn't have the power to regulate this and they were asking the wrong question commonly and it's amazing how many cases go up in front of the Supreme Court and they don't ask the right question but I see the same thing in the disputes between Republicans and Democrats and, you know, I hear the Republicans arguing back and I mean I just see oh it's just so terrible because they've forgotten they don't know the Republicans don't know what a republic is <laughs> so so of course they make terrible arguments against the Democrats and, and they make huge mistakes. You need to rethink all the way back to the primal man, the natural law. Here we have another problem, natural law. People don't understand nature because they don't live in nature. They don't understand the herds are a part of nature. <laughs> They don't understand how it all works. But anyway, this back to the case. But even if uh, appealees activity be local or through uh, uh, no, local uh, and though it may not be regarded as commerce, it may still, whatever its nature, be reached by Congress if it exerts a substantial economic effect on the interstate commerce and this irrespective of whether such effect is what might some earlier time have been defined as direct or indirect. Now, to unpack that whole statement would take hours, but direct and indirect, defined as direct or indirect, this is one of the biggest disputes. Is income tax a direct tax or an indirect tax? Because you only have the power to impose this kind of tax and it appears to be this kind of tax and you don't have the power to impose that. The reality is something else somewhere else they're not making reference to has changed. <laughs> and it's your relationship to the government. So you're, you are now within reach of Congress and they're telling you it's amazing. They will tell you and you're not, you're not listening. You're it within reach of the Congress not because it's interstate commerce. And, and the reason I thought, well, I, the reason I'm right reading this, I had never read this before. Or at least I don't remember reading it. I just read it to you for the first time. 
But they're telling you right in this case, in this paragraph alone, and I was led to read this paragraph alone. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of print in front of me, but that's the one I was led to read to you. Because in there is telling you why there was even a dispute in the Heller case, which is what I tried to explain in the uh, four or five articles that are the series on Does a Christian Have a Right to Self-Defense? I have it secreted in there. It's in there, but I don't explain the details upon details of why they can say uh, some earlier time have been defined as direct or indirect. <laughs> some earlier time before you changed your relationship to the government. And this is really going to go to the heart of uh, Trey Goff's constitution. If you're signing that constitution, you're changing your relationship with nature. You do not want to sign Trey's constitution. And and, and all, more power to him. And like I said, I'm not criticizing him. I'm just trying to help people see when you're letting the camel's nose in the tent. And how basic your government has to be to be a free government. Because in the state of nature, you're free. Now, you may have arguments with grizzly bears and coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions. But they're also free. So, uh, you may need some leverage to deal with them. But even in Israel, Israel, you know, we we draw these borders of Israel. Israel didn't come in and kill everybody. Uh, it did have wars with the established government because the established government saw them as a threat and attacked them. But they did not take over these areas with violent conflict. They simply moved in with a superior system. And eventually there was some violent conflicts. But most of the people changed their ways because they said, these guys are doing great. And they were not to oppress those other people that lived amongst them. This is the beauty of the kingdom. We'll talk about this when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of different things. You had the New Deal. Uh, Herod had his New Deal. FDR had his New Deal. <laughs> you got, uh, LBJ got his New de- Deal. Uh, so, uh, uh, all these, they were trying to prove that the New Deal was unconstitutional. And the problem is, is that anytime you're trying to prove that something's unconstitutional, usually the person trying to prove that it's unconstitutional is a constitutionalist. If you think of yourself as a constitutional constitutionalist, you probably don't understand liberty, the Constitution, or the law of nature, or all three. Uh, because you don't understand, and you certainly don't understand the kingdom of God. Because contracts, covenants, and constitutions, the name of the book that I told you guys should all read, if you're a constitutionalist, it may be a cure you of your constitutionalism, <laughs> uh, that that, uh, that document is a contract, and thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with the people. Uh, where you go, or the inhabitants where you go. So anyway, back to that Supreme Court disagreed with the fact that Roscoe can't just grow weed on his own property to feed his own chickens. That's regulatable. And they state, I'll say it one more time, whether the subject of the regulation in question 
was production, consumption, or marketing is therefore not material for the purposes of deciding the question of federal power before us. So the fact that it's not commerce was not going to get rid of it because it wasn't there because of commerce. Saw the same thing in the gotcha brief. The gotcha brief they were going to try to, and they, they, their original premise way back at the beginning of this, it was an income tax case, uh, was closer to the truth than what they ended up, you know, they went with, uh, that there is no law that states that, uh, you have to pay income tax. Well, there is, and, and it's, uh, but it's not, you're looking at the legal statutes to find out what the law is, because you don't understand the word legal. <laughs> so again, it, you're, you're getting into the middle of the forest, surrounded by trees to try to see the forest. You can't, you have to get up on the mountaintop. To see the forest. Because in the forest you can't see the forest. You can only see the trees immediately around you. So if you're trying to figure out what the law of nature is. By looking at the legal system. You're already lost in the woods somewhere. I don't know how to explain it any more clearly. But in the got you brief. You know I, as soon as I read the thing. I mean the, the thing's a phone book. And uh somebody. It was in the days when I was reading all that kind of stuff. I don't want to call it crap, but uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, immediately I thought, these guys are headed for trouble. And I wrote them a letter really quick, longhand, and mailed it off to them. And I got a response back uh, months, months later. I think I have it in one of my files uh, where they said that my letter was prophetic. <laughs> because the judge said exactly what I said the judge would say. And the judge was right. And the same in the IBT case. As soon as I read that, I said, the judge is telling you what the truth is. Now, I don't know if these judges are actually telling you what the truth is because they understand it. But the evil that they represent makes them tell you the truth. You're just not listening. You know, because you're out in the woods somewhere trying to figure out natural law in a legal system. It doesn't work that way. You need to come out and look back at it and find out what was going on. So, yeah, they're, they asked the wrong question. And the reality is, is if they asked the right question, they wouldn't have to ask the Supreme Court. Because the real question is about them. And this is why the Supreme Court makes reference some earlier time have been defined as direct or indirect. (laughs) In other words, we're in another time, we're in another relationship with these people, and therefore, he can't grow wheat without us regulating The same thing with people uh, producing milk, and they want to sell milk to their neighbor. Not across state lines, just to their neighbor. Oh, violation. They say, well, commerce, I wasn't selling across state lines. No, no. Uh, you, you're selling it, they say. Oh, well, you mean I can't sell it? Okay, well, okay. You can't even grow it and drink it if they want to take that right away from you. Because it's not a right anymore. Because you're living in another place. You're living, you're not in the kingdom. You're back in bondage. You're back in Egypt again. All the elements of the bondage of Egypt are law today 
or I should say legal today in the United States. That might make it a little bit clearer in your mind. You are back in bondage. Legal means to bind. You're back in bondage. And, you know, making reference back to if the states created the Constitution, they can uncreate the Constitution. Well, they can't fire on Fort Sumner and confiscate federal gold. They can't do that. Well, what about debt? Are all of you collateral for debt, surety for debt? Are all you merchandise? Yes. Why? Because of the covetous practices of your parents and you. I mean, did you go to public school? Well, you're in. That you're you're no longer free souls under God, the Creator, whatever you want to call it. You know, so many libertarians they don't. Oh, you mentioned God. I'm I'm out of here. You know. Well, you know, when I mention God, it may not be talking about the same God that the Pope's talking about, or I don't want to pick on the Pope, or you know, some. So minister out there living in a million dollar mansion. I may not be talking about his God. <laughs> you know, you know, if he's a jihadist, I'm probably not talking about his God. But whoever is the creator of the universe, this life, this abundance of life on the, whatever did that, whatever power in the universe did that, that's the God I'm talking about. The creator, the giver of life. And if you love that, and why are you out there taking life from your neighbors? Why are you engaged in covetous practices? Why are you... Don't you know that you will become merchandise? Don't you know you will curse your children with debt? Make them and yourselves a surety for debt? Once you're a surety for debt, you can't just undo debt. And the the debt's real, even though the money's not. So anyway, back to this. Uh, that's not where their federal power comes from. Not from the Commerce Clause. They they, in a way, yeah. But you're the merchandise. Remember, they're regulating you, the merchandise. But he says, even if the appealee's activities be local and through, and though it may not be regarded as commerce. It may still, whatever its nature, whatever its nature, be reached by Congress if it exerts a substantial economic effect on interstate commerce and this irrespective of whether such effect is what might at some earlier time have been defined as direct or indirect. You're the merchandise. That's why they're regulating you. You've become collateral for debt. They're not going to tell you that in 25 words, or I did it in less than 25 words. The same applies to the Heller Agreement. If you go back and you read, does a Christian have a right to self-defense? It goes back to the Heller Agreement. So how do you get stuff out of the system when you and all your stuff is surety for debt? Well, that's going to take more than this program, and I probably won't even tell you. Because if you can't, if you can't get into the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see it, even if I told you. So anyway, uh, the reality is, is that when I'm looking at Trey Goff's, um, you know, I listened to a couple of audios or YouTubes that he was being interviewed, and uh, he's talking about uh, some of these uh, guys trying to create 
voluntary free societies, libertarian societies, and they're talking about, I don't know, a seascape, doing it at sea, and other people are, you know, making agreements with other countries that we get to have this kind of free zone in there. We're going to create this uh, voluntary free society within this free zone, and they're, so they're trying to figure out what kind of constitution they have, and then they're all going to move to that place, and, you know, like the Free State Project, etc., or, or, you know, you could do it up in the air, <laughs> on Mars, in space, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk is, wants to settle is a free colony on Mars, and the reality is, is that you don't need to go to a particular location. The kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's a way of thinking. Now, it is a network of people. What you think, and what they think, if they come into one accord and think the same thing, they can be that free society and you don't need to be in another place. You know, now we're going to bypass getting stuff out of the system because the, the most of the stuff you're going to get out of the system is going to come out of the system when the system fails. You know, when the cow dies, everything that's in the cow is going to come out, <laughs> including the maggots. Uh, and it's going to go back to nature and it's going to be renewed again in the soil and everything else. The re- The reality is I don't want to see all of you perish when the cow dies. You know, I mean, what was the dream of Joseph uh, that uh, Joseph interpreted for the Pharaoh is that seven good cows come out and they're all fat and then seven lean cows come out. Well, I'm saying, you know, the beast is going to die. But now the question is, is the spirit in you the spirit of the beast? Because if it is, then you're going to die too. But if your spirit is the spirit of life, then you will live and prosper even when this beast dies. So anyway, that's my prophetic statement for the day. <laughs> but anyway, you don't need to go to a place. You you need to go to another way. You need to think another way. And and that's that's the the key element here in seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because like I said, Israel, when it uh, came into these areas, it did have battles, but it had it with the establishment only when the establishment tried to oppress them, and they had no standing army. The, there was no draft, nothing like that. But they had a way of coming together. This is what Rome always feared. You gotta remember, all these Christians were armed. Because Jesus says, if you don't have a coat, go get, you know, sell, I mean, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go get a sword. And th- this was common that they were armed. But they were always feared to be the transgressor by, you know, you can get it from the writings of people like, uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius and others, they feared the Christians. Because they were afraid that they would rebel. They were only about 5% of the Roman Empire. But the union and discipline, that's what we see in in, uh, Gibbons, uh, makes reference to this in his Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. The union and discipline of the Christian, he actually refers to it as a republic, the the Christian community. Because remember a republic, if you don't remember, because you don't know what a republic is. A republic is not an indirect democracy. 
There is no such thing as a democratic republic. <laughs> Those are conflicting terms. Republic, from the point of view of the Latin idiom libera respublica, is you're free from things public. The majority can vote any way they want. You don't have to go along with it. That's a republic. If you have to go along with it, then you're not in a republic. You're in something less than a republic. You know, so I guess we have to start referring to an absolute republic <laughs> as opposed to not quite a republic. I mean, it's like, you know, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either a republic or you're not a republic. And there's a lot of things that people are calling a republic that are not really a republic, as the term was originally used. Because words evolve over a period of time, people think that an indirect democracy, they're also calling that a republic. And I'm sure that if you looked up in a dictionary today, that it would be defined as a republic, but or a republic would be defined as an indirect democracy. But originally, that's not what a republic was. You were free from things public in a republic. It doesn't mean things public. It means... But there are things public in a republic, but you have to voluntarily give those things to a body in the republic under certain restrictions or regulations or whatever that is actually forming a body. Because the problem with the republic is it's not a corporation. You don't sign a constitution to enter a republic enter into a republic. A republic, you're free from things public. You're just in a voluntary society. But that has no status in the law of nations because it's, you're not, all the people are not in a corporation. Now the beautiful thing about that is that if this guy over here does something wrong, you can't be held responsible for it. This is why you don't even want to be Unincorporated association is treated as if it is a corporation. Free association is, you're actually free. It's not an unincorporated legal term. Unincorporated association is treated as if it is a corporation. You want to be only freely associating. And one of the ways to determine that is that when you give something in to this other corporate body, you can call it a corporate body, this other body, you freely give it. And you give it up entirely. And you don't regulate it anymore. Well, you don't... Again, if you want to send all your money up to some pope somewhere or some president somewhere, how are you going to know how it's being handled? What you want to do is be in a very localized, free assembly. People you actually sit down and you give it to one particular person that is a very charitable giving person. And then he redistributes it accordingly. And then he can report back to you on how he did. And you can watch what he does and how he does with it. So, yeah, you don't want to be called an unincorporated association. You want to be this free assembly. That's what we use the term free assembly. We also use the word congregation. But a true congregation is a free assembly. We're going to... I was looking, trying to figure out how much time I have before... And we're not going to get very deep into... uh Trey's constitution, but this a voluntary society, you don't have to sign anything to be a part of a voluntary society. (laughs) So if somebody's got you signing something, you're probably letting the camel in the, the tent. 
we have a document that people can sign that is a matter of record. It's not a contract. We call it a sacred purpose trust. And what it is, is it's a record of you choosing to give something to somebody. Hopefully you'll give more as time goes on and you're giving it to that person for the right reason and he's receiving it for the right reason. But those are things that you have to attend to. People want to say, well, I, I, I did this once and now I'm, I should be just in, like I'm a member or something. You're not a member of a free assembly except when you're assembled. And when you walk out the door again, you're no longer a member. You're not in that assembly because you're free. You're separate. When you sign what we call a sacred purpose trust form, you're saying, I'm taking this thing that I have and I'm going to give it to this person for the purposes of Christ. Well, Christ is not a citizen of the United States. He's not a citizen of Canada. He's not a citizen. Jesus is not a citizen of uh, Jerusalem even. (laughs) At least what we call Jerusalem today. Uh, because it, the kingdom of heaven is not a place. So you're giving it to that individual for his purposes. And he's separate from the world. His church is separate from the world. And we'll go into a lot more of why his church is separate from the world. And the church is separate from the free assembly. The free assembly is just followers of Christ. The sacred, separate, that's what sacred means, is separate people. The separate people, we'll use that word, are the people who are a part of the called out. They have fulfilled the terms of Jesus' called out. They're the ones in one accord. The free assembly of the people may be in accord with them, may not be in accord with them. That's a day-to-day, ongoing relationship. That's what you want. Not only in the prior time, but you want it in the present. But that isn't what you got. You see, this is, this is what they're not realizing when they're reading Wicker, uh, the Wicker case, is that something's happened. They, they didn't realize this in the IBT case, Indianapolis, Indianapolis Baptist Temple case. They didn't realize this in the Heller case. They think, actually, some people think the Heller case was kind of a victory because it said some really cool things. But they're not asking always the right question. And so, therefore, you're not going to get the right answer. (laughs) Because what's happened is you went and signed something to get something that was provided to you by borrowing something from somebody else. (laughs) And so, therefore, you've become a surety. you become uh, cursed. you become uh, merchandise. And if you're not going to address that, you're not going to find a solution. Now, the solution is to seek a relationship with a society that is a free relationship. That is a free assembly. That the only bonds that you have in that society are based on faith in life, the tree of life, the giver of life, the creator of life, whatever that is, we call it God, Faith in that, hope in that faith, and charity, and hope in that charity, because that giver of life gave you life, now you must 
take the life you have and lay it down for others. And then you will have life more abundant. Let's just look at something very natural. You know, we mentioned the water buffalo. The water buffalo has, you know, there are males and females and they produce the next herd by the relationship of those males and females. In humanity, we, we're, we, we have a herd, but we are not, we are one male, one female. That's usually the way we work it. That's usually the best way to go. Uh, there's some people think you can do something different, but it usually always ends in disaster. At least it always did in the Bible. But the reality is they produce the next generation. And the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. That's what it tells us in the Bible. So again, back to what I was saying earlier. You're an individual, but you were born in a family. That family gave you life. There's a natural debt that you have towards that family. Because that family gave you life. And now somebody's going to say, well, I was an orphan. Well, okay. (laughs) You were brought up by wolves in the woods or something. I don't know. But the reality is that creates a natural debt. And we're given a commandment, not only not to make covenants with the inhabitants where we go, or with their gods, their ruling judges. Their ruling judges are arches. You're an arche. You're not for ruling judges, so you're not going to make any covenants with them. And uh, we'll go into this more in Trey's constitution. But the reality is, is that you do have a relationship within the family because you were created within the family. That all your rights come from that family. You did not spawn yourself. And so that within that family, there is this relationship that you owe to your family. And it says, honor thy father and thy mother. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But your days will not be long upon the land and neither will your freedom be long upon the land. This is why governments of the world want to take that responsibility of honoring your father and mother away from you. And they'll say, we'll take care of your parents. There, that's not the nose of the camel in the tent. That is the camel in the tent. (laughs) So, anyway, we'll talk more on Keys of the Kingdom next time. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net Thank you.